0: Lot Talk Radio,
1: hey there, Doctor Ross with my co-host, Susie Porton, it's time for another edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child. We do this every Monday, September through May, from 11 a.m. Eastern Time to 11.45 Eastern Time. Susie, how are you today? Whoops, don't answer yet. (laughs) You're still muted. Now you can answer.
2: Oh, I'm good, thanks. How are you?
1: (laughs) I am well. Um, Usually I remember to do that, but not today. Um, uh, We've got quite a few emails to get to today. But um, we can start with anything you want to start with if you want to start with something. We do not have any callers. That phone number is 347-994-2981.
2: And press 1.
1: Boy, are we a good team.
2: Yes, we are. Um,
1: Uh, anything you wanted to start with today?
2: Well, I just wanted to point out that Lives in the Balance has been named the recipient of Crisis and Counseling Centers Organization of the Year Award for 2016. That's pretty exciting.
1: That is exciting, and we are very honored that um, people are appreciative of what we're trying to do, and recognition is always nice. We We're going to keep doing what we're doing even if we don't get recognition, but it's nice when somebody notices, and so that's fantastic. Absolutely. Um, Also, I don't know if you noticed this, but up on the Lives in the Balance website now Mm -hmm. is uh, the announcement for the first annual European Summit on Non-Adversarial, Non-Punitive Interventions for At-Risk Kids sounds like you did see that.
2: I did notice that.
1: Uh, That's in Sweden, uh, October 31st through November 2nd. Um, And we have a very exciting lineup there. And the program is in English. So it won't only be me who's speaking in English. All of the speakers besides me for whom English is not their first language. are going to be speaking in English as well because um, we anticipate that the summit will draw participants from all over Europe, and we are hoping to make this an annual event as well. Why should North America be the only place that focuses on non-punitive, non-adversarial interventions for at-risk kids? One of these days I bet we'll do an Australian summit as well.
2: Ah, uh, sounds um, great.
1: It'll be cool. Yeah. Um What else?
2: Well, there's two evening presentations for parents, one on March 28th in forgive me if I don't pronounce it right, Waldoboro, Maine.
1: Waldoboro, Maine.
2: Yep. In collaboration with GEAR, Parent Support Network, you'll be speaking. Yeah. And then also... Waldo in-
1: Borough is near another place that's even harder to pronounce, to A little further up Route 1, a uh, little further up Route 1 from Wiscasset, and not quite to Rockland or Rockport or Camden. But um, the GEAR Parent Support Network, we've been collaborating with GEAR for years on free evening presentations for parents, and this is yet another one.
2: Yes. We're happy and the
1: relationship is continuing.
2: Uh, also, you'll be speaking in Orangeville, Ontario, on May 12th, and um, that's with the Dufferin Parent Support Network. So... That'll be a great evening, too, for parents.
1: And interestingly enough, um, and I haven't done this yet, but it needs to be done, there are colleagues of mine who are beginning to speak on behalf of Lives in the Balance, and they have some evening tations for parents coming up as well, and so those will be listed along with the ones that I do. Why should I be um, the only one who speaks about collaborative and proactive solutions? Um, so those those are going to end up getting posted on the website, too. So um, exciting things. Now, the announcement uh, for the annual summit of Lives in the Balance, the North American Summit, uh, that's going to be up on the website fairly soon. Along with the announcements for the Lives in the Balance, uh, mental health, school mental health summits, those one of those is going to be in Edmonton this year, and one is going to be in Vancouver this year. Um, all great opportunities for people to learn more about not only collaborative and proactive solutions, but also other interventions that fall under that non-punitive non-adversarial umbrella. So, if it sounds like we got a lot going on, we do.
2: Yes, we, and we do. We wouldn't
1: want it any other way. What else do we need to cover right. before we jump into emails?
2: Um, last thing I just wanted to mention was uh the paperwork for the CPS model. Um, the ALSEP, the Problem Solving Plan, the Plan B Cheat Sheet, have all been reformatted. And um, you can find them in the paperwork section on the website.
1: All true. And those new formats are not only printable, they are editable and fillable, uh, one of them, I believe it's the plan B cheat sheet. sheet, still has a few errors in it, but it's functional. We're just waiting for the new one from the graphic designer. And because we now have learned that they don't print out spectacularly in black and white, we'll be putting black and white versions up there as well, especially for those who want to print them. Mm-hmm. Um, we try to be responsive to people letting us know we've screwed something up <laughs> now something that isn't on the website yet that many people have been waiting for but will be in the next day or two is a video example with a real family of an LSIP meeting, me and two parents, and an example of Plan B with real parents and their 10 and a half year old son. I have finally gotten those edited and um, they are about to be posted. I just have to look at them one last time to make sure that the person who did the film editing got it exactly right. And if he did indeed get it exactly right, then those will be up on the website by mm, Wednesday or Thursday at the latest. And then people will have a real example of what an elsip meeting looks like and a real example of what plan b looks like the videos that are up there now are actors they're still pretty good but my goal is to get as many real videos up there as possible and so this is just the beginning
2: how helpful that will be for our parents
1: that is and the goal
2: educators. yep
1: Um, Now, watching an ALSEP meeting with two parents is just as helpful to educators. It's just that it's not educators sitting around a table. It's not staff in a facility sitting around a table. It's two parents doing the ALSEP, but to be perfectly honest with you, it doesn't look any different. Mm -hmm. And so we will link to the parent ALSEP from the walking tour for educators still and I am in the midst of creating the setting the stage for us to actually film an Alsat meeting at a school, and hopefully that'll be up on the website by this summer. Great. Also coming, <sighs> you may not know this, um, are a an IEP, a 504 plan, a functional behavior assessment, and a um, behavior plan, all with a CPS flavor to them. And those will be up on the website within the next oh four to six weeks,
2: so fantastic.
1: Um, anything we can do to be helpful it's just a matter of time. Anything else that I'm forgetting.
2: um, no, I did have a fast question for you, please, Dr. Green. at the school where I volunteer, the teacher said to a kindergartner. Stop acting like an idiot because he was fidgeting during reading time. Now, we know there are better words to use instead of idiot. I told the teacher, if he does it again, I'll have a discussion with him. Of course, it would be a Plan B discussion. But I'm wondering if there should be a Plan B discussion over a one-time incident and with a child that young.
1: Well, the child at young part would not stop me. Um, One of the great misconceptions, and we may have Piaget to blame for this, who thought that kids could not take somebody else's concerns into account until about the age of 11. Research has disproved that. Um, I find that kids as young as two can engage in solving the problems that affect their lives. So the age part wouldn't deter me at all. Um I usually wait until we have a bit of a pattern going. There's no crime in pointing out to a kid that he's having difficulty meeting an expectation and sometimes merely pointing it out to the kid um is all he needed, you know? Um mm-hmm. I remember that uh my my son when he was about 3, I've sometimes told this story, uttered a profanity once un unprompted at the kitchen table. Um and he just uh, I just needed to let him know that um that word was not a word that was very nice. He did not know that because he had heard that from um, his mother, and uh, the word, and so he didn't know that, and um, that I would have greatly appreciated if he would not use that word, and I haven't heard that word since, and that was a good 12 years ago. So sometimes pointing out to a kid on a, first, on a one-timer, or what my Canadian colleagues call a one-offer, um, <sighs> I learned this morning that uh, while in the United States we say swears like a sailor,
2: uh-huh. um,
1: at least this um, this one Canadian colleague, they say swears like a trucker. Uh, <laughs> so I guess there's different people who swear out there, not just uh, not whatever, not just three-year-old kids. Um, but I usually wait to do Plan B until we see that the kid is having difficulty meeting an expectation after now having had it pointed out to him or her Mm -hmm. that he or she is having difficulty meeting the expectation. So I might not do plan B on a one-timer. I might wait to see if it happens again, but I would not hesitate to point out to the kid that there's an expectation he seems to be having difficulty meeting. As it relates to any adult calling any kid a name and thinking it's going to be helpful, well, my bet is that um, my sentiment about that is probably crystal clear. Yes. Well, thank you. Yeah, I've never seen calling a kid an idiot accomplish much of anything except perhaps making the kid feel bad about something that they may even not even know they're being called an idiot over, but also perhaps, well, at least as bad. Uh, adults don't pick up any credibility when they're calling kids' names over unmet expectations. You pick up all your credibility when you identify what those expectations are And you work with the kid to try to help him uh, solve whatever problems are getting in the way of those expectations being met. Mm -hmm. And calling a kid an idiot would accomplish none of those things. In fact, the list of things that would not accomplish what I just described is actually rather long. But it's a list of all the things that are most commonly done to behaviorally challenging kids when they're having difficulty meeting an expectation. Um, so, you know, expulsions don't solve those problems, and suspensions don't, and detentions don't, and uh, discipline referrals don't, and timeouts don't, and spankings don't, and stickers don't, and calling a kid an idiot don't. Right. There's our list of don'ts.
2: <sighs> All right. Why don't we give the call-in number one more time just in case?
1: <laughs> Good idea. Three four seven nine nine four two nine. 347 994 8-1. And can I say it this time?
2: Absolutely. Take it away.
1: And please press the number one. <laughs> Shall we jump into emails here? We do sure. not have any callers yet. We had a bunch last week. Mm-hmm. Um, we're hoping for updates from some of the parents who called in last week. We'll see if we get any. But let's start with this one. I've been I've been trying to get to this one uh, for a long time, and I get a lot of – Life's in the Balance gets a lot of emails about this one, and so I'm glad we are finally covering it on today's program. It says, Hi, Dr. Green. I am in the middle of reading your book. As we suspect, our child has something called pathological demand avoidance, which has recently been added to the autism spectrum. I notice in the book that there is no reference to this disorder whatsoever, but the behavior described by the examples perfectly fit the profile of someone with PDA, I am interested, is PDA something you have ever heard of? I am a British citizen living in uh, a foreign country with my family, and no one has ever heard of PDA. In England, it is growing in recognition. I am out to try and raise awareness about this little-known syndrome, as I can definitely tell you, my son has every symptom, and we are struggling for any diagnosis. So far, I have found your book to be most helpful in pinpointing my son's problem areas, and up until now, we have found it frustratingly hard to convey this to anyone without coming across as extremely vague. Thank you so much for this book. I will certainly tell other people about its value. Let's weigh in. All right. Yes, I have heard of pathological demand avoidance. It seems to be more pop- popular in uh, Great Britain than it is here in the United States. I have not come across a kid yet. Uh, diagnosed with pathological demand avoidance in the United States. Um, the symptoms are resists and avoids the ordinary demands of life, appears sociable but lacking depth and understanding, excessive mood swings and impulsivity, comfortable in role play and pretend sometimes to an extreme extent, language delay often with a good degree of catch-up, obsessive behavior often focused on people. So those are the symptoms of PDA, and um, i'm um, let's tr- I'm going to try not to be blunt here. I feel about as good about past PDA as I do about any other psychiatric disorder, and that means not that good. No, no offense to people who have found the diagnosis to be helpful in helping them recognize that they were correct in thinking that there was something different about their kid. I just wish that um, we didn't need a diagnosis to help people appreciate the fact that there's something different about a kid. There's something different about every kid. And it all comes down to lagging skills and unmet expectations, or what in this model we call unsolved problems. And so that those behaviors cluster together for some kids is fine, I suppose, and that we've labeled the fact that that we've labeled the cluster, I suppose, is fine. But what I think that this email is pointing out is that it's only going to take people so far. So I feel bad when I read that people are um, hunting for a diagnosis, um, and that because I think that the diagnosis is quite vague, but I would say ADHD is quite vague, and I would say oppositionally defiant disorder is quite vague, and conduct disorder and any other disorder, any autism spectrum disorder, I think that they are vague because I think that none of them convey a kid's lagging skills and the expectations a kid is having difficulty meeting in association with those lagging skills. And so anytime we are using a psychiatric category, what we're talking about is behaviors that cluster together, but what we are not communicating is anything about the kid's lagging skills and the expectations the kid is having difficulty meeting. And that's why I'm about as enthusiastic about pathological demand avoidance as I am about any other psychiatric disorder. I am determined for us to stop focusing on behavior, which is simply the expression of the fact that the kid is having difficulty meeting specific expectations. That's all behavior is. Behavior communicates I am having difficulty meeting certain expectations. We would be so far better off, and the kids would be so far better served if we weren't focusing on behavior, which is the byproduct, it's the signal, it's the fever, and if we were far less focused on the categories that are thought to summarize those behaviors and far more focused on lagging skills and unsolved problems. Boy, would that move the ball forward. So this program is going to be called Pathological Demand Avoidance, and I hope that as many people as possible listen to the program. That's not me saying that it doesn't exist. Certainly there are kids out there who have those behaviors that cluster together. But one last point, Susie, before I have you weigh in if you'd like to. There's going to be lots of kids who don't meet criteria. There's going to be lots of kids who don't meet criteria for ADHD, but who still have lagging skills and unsolved problems. There's going to be lots of kids who don't meet full criteria for oppositional defiant disorder, but but who are still encountering tremendous difficulty in life because they're lacking important skills and because there are many expectations they're having difficulty meeting. The same is going to be true of pathological demand avoidance. And what I hate seeing happen is that when a kid does not meet criteria, The message that is given to the parents and teachers is is that the kid does not have a problem because he doesn't have enough of the behaviors that are thought to cluster together to get the rubber stamp on his or her head certifying that something's the matter. As I always say, you don't need a psychiatric disorder to have something be the matter. You just need to have lagging skills and unsolved problems. All right. I think I'm done. Susie, mm-hmm. thoughts?
2: Um, well, one of the things that helped me so much and that I love about CPS is that it didn't pathologize my child that it's it's a family problem and um, you know, it it was a problem between my son and myself, or my husband and my son. Um, That was incredibly helpful to me um, to help see the light. Uh, The other thing was by focusing on lagging skills and unsolved problems, that leads people to be more compassionate. Now you can set things up so you can start helping the child, um a uh, a diagnosis though you've said many times sometimes you need them to get um certain um what's the word i'm looking for services, services. right thank you um needed but um it, you know having a diagnosis is sort of a dead end Uh, thing for me It, it didn't help me to help my son and it didn't help me to truly understand what was going on
1: and my recollection is that your son had um a meaningful number of them yes and yet i think what you're saying is that uh all those diagnoses did not help you understand his lagging skills, did not help you focus on the problems that were causing um, challenging behavior in your household. Mm-hmm. Diagnoses don't, generally speaking, make things better. Solving problems, generally speaking, is what makes things better. Now, Susie, I'm delighted to report that these phone lines have suddenly filled up dramatically. And Great. I think... I think we may have some repeat callers okay. here who who may have heeded my call for updates. So here we go. Area codes six one three and six two zero. I'm going to take area code nine one four first because the, she's the one who called in first. And I think I think I think I'm right that it's a she. Um, nine one four, you're on the air. What's up? Area code nine one four.
3: Hello. Hi, you're on the air. Hi. Um, so, yes, uh, I, I did call in last week. Um, I'm glad you called was, again. My question was about my teacher, my son's teacher, who um, I was having a hard time having her get uh, on board with doing the problem-solving of the CS yes. approach. Um, we did follow up with another meeting with her, and I've had some communication with her over email. I cannot say that she was enthusiastic about doing the proactive problem-solving, per se. However, when we did meet, we wound up, uh, because this was a meeting between me, my son, and uh, and my son's teacher, we did wind up uh, talking about some of the things that were challenging to him in the classroom. And since they were both there, the, there was some more productive conversation that had happened. And um, she had... Um, I think, new insight into what was causing him a hard time. My question this time is um, about my son's ability to follow through on some of the things that they had agreed on. So one of the things that's really difficult for him is being able to, uh, when he when he's either frustrated or he's having a hard time or something, being able to articulate that in a proper manner. So for instance, in the class it means asking the teacher for help without calling out or not really letting his emotions be very obvious because sometimes it becomes distracting. Uh, So when we problem solved this with my son, his idea was actually that he will ask the teacher for help, and if she's busy, he will try to start on the assignment while he's waiting and while he's waiting to engage her help. However, I am worried that he might have right intentions, but will not be able to follow through on that. And if that's the case, I feel like then you are going to be back in square one Is the teacher feeling frustrated with his behavior. So what what do you usually recommend? In, in well, one those
1: instances? number one, I'm delighted that you called back in. I'm sure Susie is too. Yes. Um, first of all, it, it's important to know that it's very common for the first solution not to get the job done. Very common. But that doesn't mean you're back at square one. You you, you can't be back at square one because uh, by engaging your son and his teacher in the problem-solving process, you now have, because of the empathy step and the define adult concern step, a lot more information than you had before you started. So you cannot be back at square one. All you have is a solution that probably wasn't as realistic as you thought it was, Mm -hmm. or wasn't as mutually satisfactory as you thought it was. So realistic meaning both parties can do what they're actually agreeing to do. Mm -hmm. Mutually satisfactory meaning the concerns of both parties were truly addressed by the solution. And that, Mm -hmm. by the way, is the definition of a good solution. Believe it or not, a good solution needs to meet those two criteria, realistic and mutually satisfactory. If... And this is uh, you're 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 new at this, so this is a good part of the learning curve. I tend to recommend that people not sign off on a solution if they feel the kid can't do it, because it causes people doesn't send you back to square one, but it can cause people to lose faith in the model if they're new to it. Where and, and when people are new at it, um, often they're hoping it'll work right away or they're not confident in their own skills. and They're tempted to throw in the towel if the first solution doesn't get the job done. That's why I really want to emphasize that you're not back at square one if you have a solution that doesn't work. It means going back to plan B mm-hmm. to figure out why the solution didn't work and coming up with one that is more realistic or more mutually satisfactory than the first mm-hmm. one.
3: Uh, I, I mean, definitely. I hope we are going to be able to uh, have more opportunities to sort of uh, um, negotiate that with her. Um, however, I'm also worried about my son's sign-off on on the solution because I think when he comes up with a solution, he feels excited that that's the right approach. But in yep. the moment, I think he loses. Uh, Or he forgets that that's what he wanted to do or he defaults to what he's comfortable doing or what he's historically done. So in those situations.
1: Well, just because a kid is excited about a solution doesn't mean it's realistic and mutually satisfactory. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad for the excitement because I'd rather have him be excited about participating in the process than have him, you know, be despondent because all people are doing to him is punishing him. So I'm, I'm glad for the excitement. And to tr- the truth is, it's actually pretty common for kids to get excited. The, the video that is about to be posted on the Lives in a Balance website. Wait till you see how excited the kid gets mm-hmm. about coming up with solutions. Um, kids, kids love coming up with solutions by and large. But just uh-huh. because they're excited doesn't mean that they yet fully appreciate that the solution has to be realistic and mutually satisfactory. Mm-hmm. And that's a learning curve for them. Mm-hmm. So, um excitement's great, but we have to give conscious we have to make sure that we engage the kid in the process of giving conscious deliberate thought to whether the solution that they're very excited about is realistic and mutually satisfactory. Cuz one thing I can tell you for sure, while he may be excited about the solution if it's realistic and mutually satisfactory, if it's not realistic and mutually satisfactory, he's not going to be excited about it for long. So we we want to anticipate that. And, um, you know, he needs some training in, and everybody needs training in, just because somebody's excited about a solution doesn't mean it's going to work. It's going to work if it's realistic and mutually satisfactory. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. excitement doesn't really add value to whether the solution's going to work.
3: Mm Mm-hmm. Makes sense? Uh, It makes sense. So then if it continues to be a problem, then do I go back to my son privately, or does this have to be something? No, I'd go back to plan.
1: You can can do the empathy stuff with your son again privately. But the truth is, um, you can't, you and your son alone cannot solve the problems he's having at school. He's got a dance partner at school, his teacher. And so the more you can engage her in the process, the better. Um, right. I'm delighted that it went the way it did. It says to me that you are on your way. Let's see if we can keep the teacher hanging in there. She's definitely going to need to know that the first solution frequently doesn't work, and that that's not a reason to throw in the towel. She's right. new at it too.
3: Right. Okay. So, <laughs> Susie, let, let,
1: let's give Susie a chance to weigh in here.
2: Okay. Well, I'm so happy that you called back. I was thinking of you all week because I had said to you my son and his teacher um, exchanged a look between them if he was having trouble, and I was thinking that that's vague, that um, that might not be you know, so helpful for you. Every child and its situation is different but, um, you know, maybe a wink or um, a thumbs up or something a little more specific might help. Um, I'm sorry, what did you say?
3: No, no, I'm listening. I just said yes.
2: (laughs) Oh, okay. Um, My son had some um, language difficulties as well, so we figured out some ways to help him, uh, teaching him a vocabulary that something's bothering me or I'm frustrated, Mm -hmm. um, uh, phrases like that. And lastly, one thing that uh, the school put into practice that they weren't too happy about, but they did it, was to, if it was possible to get the assignments a week in advance and to go over the assignments proactively with your son. Right. um, Either the teacher and your son or you and your son so that he has a little um, idea of what's coming down the line.
3: Well, I actually did suggest that to the teacher because I Uh think that definitely would have been helpful for my son because most of his challenges in class is when an assignment is either not clear to him uh, or if it's a new assignment that he doesn't yet know how to do and he's nervous that he might not be able to do it Mm -hmm. or he, in fact, does encounter difficulty and he's frustrated with it. Um, And I did ask her if she could um, either review it with him ahead of time or even when we meet use that time preview some of the information she thinks might be um challenging or new to him. Mm-hmm. I can't say that she was very receptive to that. She kind of generally said, Okay, maybe, but there was no definitive agreement from her so how, what would I do if you actually encourage
2: um, her to do that? I think I'd I'd try to revisit it with her and um and Sometimes the teachers, um, no disrespect to the teaching profession, but sometimes they don't uh, like to have to do that because it requires a little more work on their part and they're already right. so overworked and stretched. Um, but I would certainly revisit it and, and advocate that this is really um a helpful possibility for your son and um could you know uh proactively avoid problems
3: right uh yes i hope so i hope she'll be able to do that on the plus side uh i think she didn't realize how much anxiety he was having over mm-hmm. uh not understanding the work and i think she read a lot of his verbal expression, or he would, you know, he would say, oh, no, you're doing this again, or comments like that. Mm -hmm. I think she read that as resistance more than anxiety. (laughs) Well, that's
2: fantastic that you clarified that for her.
3: Right. So I think that was helpful. So hopefully maybe she will come around to, you know, to being able to work with him a little bit earlier on uh, rather than... In
2: the moment try- try not to I know it's not the most comfortable, but when you do meet some resistance at school, um I just found that you know I took a deep breath and just had to be the advocate for my son, even though I was it wasn't um, so favorably met. Right. You know, on their part.
3: Right, right. Um, yes. So, so it's always a fine line between engaging their corporation and kissing <laughs> <Yes. laughs> them off. Yes. So uh, it, it is something and yeah, I feel like I'm I'm all, always try to be on top of but sometimes I feel like uh, I'm not sure if I should be more pushy or less pushy. I think that's a tricky area sometimes. But It I'm sounds glad to me like this, you've
1: balanced it well so far.
3: So Keep I hope us posted, be, please. Yeah, I will, and I hope she's going to be open to, to working with us more on
2: this. You're going to find I out. Yep. I appreciate
3: your take advice. I appreciate your advice, and I really thank you. I'll
2: take Bye. care. Take care.
1: That's hard. It is a balance. Um, yeah. I'm going to try to squeeze in another call here. Area code 613. This may be a repeat caller as well. Let's find out. Area code 613, you're on the air. How are you today? Good, thank you. Hello? What's on your mind? Yep, you're here.
0: Oh yes, yes. So uh, I I was following intensely the previous call, I think. I had similar question with my son was also nine uh, and uh working at school. Yeah, you it know, it's funny that he ends up uh later end up more disruptive in the classroom and uh, some of their ways is to Try and put him outside of the classroom to stay in timeout, or to, uh, or he gets up and walks around. And uh, what I'm trying to find out is, uh, at school and as well at home, how to help him or guide him to when he's in a classroom to just stay focused to the lesson. And he seems to have difficulty with. Uh, staying focused for the entire day and he will just get up or he'll play with a little elastic or uh, he will uh, um, go and disturb a neighbor uh, and have a child just to simply talk to him and that seems to disrupt the class and um, I'm assuming I'm trying to see if I could uh, follow similar to the previous scholars to try and talk to the teacher and see if uh, there's something else outside of uh, of medication that uh, I could work on improving his uh, behavior
1: at school? Well, there's a bunch of resources on the Lives in the Balance website to help you, but I'll tell you what I would especially like you to do, because um, the mom who we just got off with called in for the first time last week, And the call, the the discussion we had with her may be relevant to your situation with your son um, about his difficulties, Um, mostly because her child as well was unfocused. And um, I don't remember, but my recollection is that he has trouble sitting still and is uh, fidgety. And so you'll want to listen to last week's program because we did – talk a little bit about potentially medication last week, and I'm not jumping to that with you. As as I told her last week, um, because I don't know your son, it would be extraordinarily premature for me to say anything about medication, but if you're feeling that your son sounds a lot like hers, you may want to listen to last week's program on the website to hear a lot of what we said to her as well. One thing, but I also want to make sure you check out the walking tour for parents uh, on the Lives in the Balance website because that's where you'll be learning all about what um, we would encourage you to do to try to help your son and what we would encourage the teacher to do. It's just that there are some things medication does that this model does not do. One thing's for certain. I can't think of almost anything, that putting your son outside in the hall is going to fix. That's, that's the uh, most certain thing I can tell you without even meeting your son. Mm-hmm.
0: I know. And uh, that was a little bit disturbing to me, uh, but it seems to be a uh, practice that is done. Um, uh, and he's been in the hallway a few times or, uh, if it does have to, if it does bother another person or he says something that was silly or impolite, uh, and yes, uh, then he, he will have to apologize sometimes to the person or other times to the entire classroom as a whole. So now it just feels that in, I find it that instead of his behavior being, uh, improving, he finds himself as being alienated a little bit further and because mm-hmm. they, the kids associate him, oh, he's that little boy. But other than that, he's just a very soft, gentle, lovely boy who would play and he loves and nurtures all the little kids. And and I did listen to the previous caller because I was actually the person waiting last week to get through to you. And so I understand. So it was um, resonating really clearly with me. But I'm trying to see how to approach it. And it's true that at home he does have difficulty and a little bit of resistance. To do his homework, so he finds that he gets to school and he's not as prepared as perhaps some of his peers. And then, then, then the challenges start there. And then I'm not sure exactly how to proceed. I've tried some of the. I've read all of the walking tours and uh, listened to the video, and I uh, tried to um, attempt with him how to set up the unsolved problems. I find it sometimes difficult to exclude the behavior when sometimes he doesn't want to do his homework. And I say, I'll try to say, I notice that you have difficulty performing your math homework. I'm trying to figure out how to exclude his behavior, that he's just trying to run away or he will go to the computer or he'll get distracted or find many reasons to not perform the task of
1: homework, even if it's
0: 10 or 15 minutes. So I guess that's more complex than uh, just the school itself.
1: Well, it may well be, and not only would I hope that you would listen to last week's radio program, but on the CPS Connection website, www.cpsconnection.com, I do have a certified provider, not in Ottawa, but in Montreal. And I know that that's not exactly around the block for you, but it may be worth a visit to her or perhaps contacting her to find out if she has a colleague in your area who can do a bit of an evaluation on your son mm-hmm. and give you a sense about what's going on um, because given some of the things that you're describing, it sounds like you're going to need perhaps more expertise than just what the walking tour is going to provide you with. So. I would recommend that you contact her as well. But listen to the radio program, uh, last week's radio program, and see if it's applicable to you. And um, get on the CPS Connection website and contact my colleague in Montreal. Her name is uh, Dr. Cynthia Graton. And um, I'm sure she'd be happy to see you and give you her impression of what's going on with your son. Regrettably, we're out of time for today, so I think that probably has to be the last word. But we appreciate you calling in, and don't hesitate to call back. Thank you. You bet. Susie, okay. I wish we had time for you to weigh in on that one, but we don't. I talk too much. It's all right. We're going to have to call it a day for today. But as always, thanks for doing this and weighing in. Um, I know people love hearing from
2: you. My and pleasure. uh And
1: we'll do this again next week. What do you say?
2: Yep, have a good week.
1: You too. Take Take care.
2: Take care.